you've got some AirPods. Yeah. Police come for me. Uh huh. For Valentine's Day, and I didn't get her anything. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, you get to a point in your relationship, right, in your life, where you're like, I'll stop you at the right and say no. Wait. What part? <laughs> when you said right, you get a point in your relationship, right? I'll say no to that. I'm not agreeing with this. What am I saying? I, I'm, I, I know what you're going to say, and I'm just letting everyone listening know that I'm distancing myself from the get-go on this. From saying that when you want something in, in your life, you can kind of just get it and be like, no matter uh-huh. what time of year it is, just be like, Here's my birthday gift. Don't worry about it. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, my birthday's in September. It'll be July. I can just go out there and, you know, if there's something that, that, you know, I want and just be like, that's my birthday. Like, it doesn't have to be on the holiday, right? Sure. What do holidays mean anymore? What do birthdays mean What do mean holidays anymore? ever mean? Exactly. That's exactly my point. So, on Valentine's Day, when I came home... With nothing, thinking, yeah, this weekend, maybe I'll cook her dinner or we'll do, you know, something. Uh-huh. Uh, she came in with a little bag of right. AirPods. Right. And I totally was But the point, it. especially on Valentine's Day, is not what you think of the holiday. It's what your significant other thinks of the holiday. And obviously, there's a, there's a disconnect mm-hmm. on those uh, wavelengths. What's today? Tuesday? Did you yeah. work from home today? No. All right, because you're sounding very Dr. Phil. I feel like you've been. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gorging. Saying. I'm just saying. Listen, you're 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 right to an extent, and she surprised me, and uh, you know, she said it was no big deal that I didn't do anything back. But you knew that. Uh, no, I kind of believed her. I mean, I ended up getting her something. Okay. You know, basically because she got me that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but hey, why am I on the hot seat? What do you want to say about my AirPods? I'm just, I was just curious. I saw them and I was just curious. I've had AirPods for over a year now. So, it, literally the greatest invention in the world. Oh, all right. Well, I got a few things to nitpick then. Sure. Number one, on my case, can you see what I had to wrap around it? I don't even, yeah, I don't, it looks like. Those look like dental rubber bands. Yeah, they kind of are. I actually don't know what they're for. Elise got them for me. Uh But they're like clear, small rubber bands. Right. And I had to put them around the case because the case itself is so smooth. Yeah. That it was just want to fall out of my pockets. Right. And I had to have something to create some kind of traction. Yeah. On there or else I, it literally slipped out, I think, like twice on my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two. Um, yeah, they're pretty great. I don't really have number two. Yeah. Other than devices haven't caught up to them yet. So if I want to watch something on my computer, I can't really sync. Well, unless these. you have a Mac. Right. They basically work. Great if you have all Apple products. And I don't. Right. And so that's, that's the other negative. Uh, just my devices haven't caught up to my uh, AirPods. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is I have not lost one, and it is a miracle. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I can keep it up. It's stressful. Yeah. Um, because they are so easy to just, you know, a few times 
I'll have one in my ear. Someone will be talking to me and I'll just pop it out, maybe stick it in my pocket or something. I'm like, that's not good. Mm -hmm. That is going to get washed or lost. Mm -hmm. So. But you like them. I love them. They're great. Yeah, they're great. They're exactly what I need them for. Yeah. I agree. I agree. No, they're they're pretty great. Okay. Just like my wife. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, there are a few things I wanted to um, touch on. Number one, a correction. I knew when this happened um, that it was wrong and... Uh, there's nothing I can do because your your face was a big part <laughs> of, of it too that made me just move on. But when I used the phrase "cause celebre," uh-huh. uh I said I added a t a extra t e at the end there. Mm-hmm. I said like "cause celebrate." Mm-hmm. That is big no no. That's a big no no. Well, I don't know what either one means. So and so yeah. So even when because. You know, when things form in my head, I'm already working against my own internal monologue, which is like, that's stupid. Don't mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot. Once I get through that, then it's just to get out of my mouth. Uh-huh. And after I went through my own internal check, I looked at your face. That caused me to double trip up over it because I was like, <laughs> am I really about to say cause celebre? And then you could hear my voice where I really stutter over it and I just uh-huh. throw in the extra tea. I, and then when you really checked out after that your body language you kind of <laughs> melted into a puddle almost immediately i was happy to kind of move on and sure. just be like you know let's forget it but it did haunt me after okay and i never went back so i wanted to do an official sure. um correction ugly delicious on netflix <clears throat> yeah so that is a new kind of food documentary and in it, it's it uh, it has like the DNA of Bill Nye, almost, where they kind of are looking at different issues and trying to do like fun stuff mm-hmm. as they're just basically. But it's all about food. A, yeah, watching a famous chef. It's the n- same thing. Famous chef investigates a food Mm -hmm. and then talks about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But they try and like spice it up a little bit. Um, And the first episode was on pizza. The second episode was on tacos. And so it's basically Justin Chang, um, a food writer are kind of like the, the main hosts and they cycle in other people, celebrities or other food writers. And then they, they'll travel like, across the world and explore whatever they're interested in, in terms of this food. And a lot of it is like the culture that surrounds the food that, that ends up being like what he's interested in, which I think is interesting. Like, it's not just like a generically informative show, like, um, Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like a, uh, like a curiosity, like Andrew Zimmern's like bizarre foods. It's Justin Chang talking to a guy in like Brooklyn who makes pizza and saying like, when does pizza stop being pizza? Like what toppings make a pizza become something else? Mm -hmm. And so they're like debating like, well, pizza originated over here. Then we did this with it. 
But then the way that we understand pizza now, like, yeah, you can't just like, you can't throw Fruit Loops on top of it and mm-hmm. be like, yeah, it's our fruity pebble pizza, you know? But the one thing that's been true through both episodes is in America, where I've grown up, we lack a food culture. And that is both like a good and bad thing because we are kind of like the melting pot mm-hmm. where a lot of times people come to America to then like blend their flavors and find a different flavor. Or um, a lot of times you can't then transport the culture that surrounded that food from, you know, wherever it came in from. So like there's the idea of in Spain or even Italy of like the four hour meal. Mm -hmm. Like you literally just like a meal is a long extended time of like talking and relaxing and then drinking and then eating a little more and Mm -hmm. then, you know, and it just kind of moves with the culture and you kind of like, and it made me think like, does the food determine the culture or does the culture determine the food? And a lot of these places you go and it's like the two are linked in a way that I don't see here in America. Like my food times have always been about just shoveling in whatever is made for me Mm -hmm. and whatever is made. It's just basically, I just want to hear when I say, Hey, what's for dinner that something is said back to me. Mm -hmm. What it is, is like, Oh, pork chops. Oh, spaghetti. Okay. Like there's no kind of intentionality about what that food means to me or what the experience of eating is going to mean. I'm going to use a fork. Like Mm -hmm. that's it. Um, can I talk about forks for a minute? Sure. Forks suck. Okay. Forks are not as good of a tool as it should be to be as ubiquitous as it is. Okay. A fork is good for eating spaghetti and that's it. It's not good for eating anything else. It sucks at picking up any other kind of pasta. <laughs> it just forks suck. Um, right? Unless you're eating spaghetti, what a about fork meat? is a terrible tool. What about meat? Where are you going to stick meat with your meat? hands? What? You're going to eat meat with your hands. <laughs> yeah. You just you just like shattered your whole steak argument. Steak is okay. Yeah, you use a fork to eat a s- steak. A steak, a pork chop, or you just I eat pick pork a chop pork chop with, chop with, with hands. your hands. <laughs> the only meat I don't eat with my hands is a steak. Oh my gosh. Or I will stick the fork in the middle of the pork chop and just eat it on the fork <laughs> but i could just as easily use my hands Ah, uh, i mean listen i guess the, the other issue is name of replacement that's not my job well exactly my job is not to invent the replacement i'm just calling it out well i think what you're missing is the fact that that's people- you're you're no you're no different than the people who are like you can't complain about Trump because you don't have any solutions. Hey, listen, we're not political. All right. <laughs> Just this saying. is not a political pot. <laughs> this is everything but politics. Okay. Um, no, but I mean, I think what you're probably missing is the fact that that territory has been scouted and people have settled on the fork. So even if the fork is a lesser utensil in your mind, I, I believe that there's probably a whole history of people who have tried stuff. And they would come into this room right now and be like, listen, if you saw what we saw out there, this is the best we got. Unless you want just like one spear sure. kind of utensil to mm-hmm. spear things with. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I think I think you could be both right and pointing out a problem that is unfixable. The fork is the best we got. Maybe. So yeah, I, so anyway, it just made me think like, what what do you think came first? First answer that question. Do you think the culture determined the food that people ate and then how they ate it? Or do you think in some ways it was the culture of people being like, listen, we don't have electricity. We don't have, we haven't invented board games yet. What are we going to do if we eat quickly? Let's just extend this meal for as long as we can. Because after that, we got nothing. Yeah. I don't know. I think what you would label as a problem, I label as a way of life. Because I don't care about food or food culture. Or Uh, when I get my food, I would rather eat it as uh, quickly as possible and get it out of the way and not have to work and clean up and not have to worry about having all this food around my house and all this other nonsense. And I would not, I I don't want, who wants to sit down and eat a meal for four hours? I would rather use three and a half hours of that watching a basketball game or playing a board game or playing video games into the food time then because it's just as your food is cold after three and a half hours it depends on the food why do you need to take three hours to eat that does not depend on the food no food stays warm for three hours (laughs) but maybe if we said we wanted to, to develop food that would fit the culture of somebody who wants to watch a basketball game while they eat an entire meal, then we would find Why? Why? different ways to. So here's the, here's the question. What is the ultimate purpose of food? Here we go. Are you ready for this? This is my first question. This is going to be some looking back on ugly foodie delicious. culture nonsense. Are you ready? I'm not ready. Does food hold all the answers? Can we? Uh, move on. I have, I have, I want to jump out of my window right now. <laughs> Does it hold all the answers, Justin? That's a simple question. I'm just asking questions here. That's all I am. I'm just a, jur- a journeyman, no. uh, just looking at distant horizons saying, hey, what's that? And if you want to run away from me and ignore these, uh, hard-hitting revelations that i'm trying to get at that's your loss okay so what but what do, okay so what answers does food have for you so here's one thing it made me think there there's a moment when uh two guys are talking and one guy is a chef he um i think he's in philadelphia mm-hmm. and it's like one of the best restaurants in philadelphia his wife is having trouble getting documented even though they're married she's still in danger of being deported and in talking about it you know his restaurant has become kind of a place of you know there's all these uh, flyers on his windows and stuff talking about like uh you know bills are coming up that would affect like immigrants and immigration and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one guy's like, yeah, but I mean, like we're just making tacos, you know what I mean? Like it's just tacos. Right. And he was trying to, you know, and he was like, yeah, he's like, I'm not arguing that, you know, but you just like, 
you just keep making your tacos and one taco at a time. You just hope that, you know, people expand their minds and think differently about whatever. Mm-hmm. And in one of the little hot, uh, like clips of people who are eating there. One girl is just like, this is my only exposure to immigrants. You know, like that was her two cents as she shoved a taco in her mouth. Right. Um, And it made me think like on the one hand, bringing food culture to a culture that has no food culture to me is like meaningful work. Like I look at all the other jobs, like I look at my job and it's like, am I like deeply fulfilled by my job? No, my, I like my job, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not changing the world. And, uh, and there are people out there who are doing like real work, you know? But then I look at some of the other things I was interested in. I was interested in journalism for a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you told me that at this point in my life, had I followed journalism, 18 hours of my day would be covering Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That would be, in my mind, the most useless job that I could think to do. Sure. You know, I, I, I can't imagine the people who every day have to go to a White House press briefing and just listen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders give answers that she probably, like, I think that that's probably the most soul sucking job, no matter how much of a soul that person lacks because you have to know like what I'm saying is complete, you know, baloney. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just can't imagine being a person who has to sit there and cover it and then go on news and not be like, yeah, today was another insane day of somebody saying inane, stupid stuff. You have to sit there and be like, uh, so her answer on this was this, and this is what I think. And let's analyze. And it's like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And so anyway, I'm just like, in, in, in the hierarchy of jobs, food is actually, in my mind, rockets way up there. Like, it's kind of like, if you're making good food and people are coming and eating that food and in any way encountering the fact of, you know, he, somebody else said that, uh, he's like, I find it a small win that when you hear a white supremacist say like, uh, you know, if you say, like, what'd you have for lunch? He's like, tacos. Mm-hmm. And in a white supremacist mind, tacos is his thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that, it, that fits within his worldview. It's like, that's not your culture, dude. <laughs> go, go eat your white food. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I feel, like, I feel like there is value in that, more value than maybe some other jobs that seem on the surface to have, to have value. And then secondly... Uh, I just feel like if you could get people to slow down and what will make people slow down food that you could actually make like me slow down, huh? Doesn't make me slow down. Yeah. Because you're, you're again, you're shoveling in your mouth. <laughs> you're not being challenged by the food or the way to, uh, I consume think, the food. But I don't get anything out of it. I think that's the difference <clears throat> I, is when I, when I'm saying these things and I don't, I, I very rarely do clarify this, make it a point to clarify this. I'm speaking for myself, right? Food. I don't mean to say that food holds no value for anybody or that it doesn't hold those values for those people. It doesn't for me. I don't get that value out of it. I also, I just to go back quickly, I don't think that America doesn't have a 
doesn't have any food culture. I think it doesn't have a singular food culture that maybe a place like Italy has. But I think if you look at like the South, the South has a food culture that has its own, you know, groups of food that they eat. You know, the West Coast has a food culture. The East Coast has a different food culture from the West Coast and from the South. It just is. I, I don't know if what you're talking about is menu, though, versus like a food culture. Like they have a different menu. I'm talking menu. about food culture. I'm not talking about menu. I'm yeah, talking about food I don't know. culture. Like, like if we just take an obvious example of like tea time in Britain and this idea of having a moment in like that's kind of culturally accepted as like, hey, it's three or four. It's like tea time. It's time to like. But is that something they do across all of Europe or is that just like a BBC? Uh, TV show thing. Yeah, I think probably at this time. I mean, it's it's a. I'm trying to use the concept as as an example more than the actual, you know, proof because I don't live in England. Sure, but there is that idea of that even being like a even a stereotype of being British, right? But like, you could oh, say the same thing time. about like barbecues. Yeah, I know. But a I'm, barbecue in the South is the same thing. Yeah. But that's more, I, again, I don't know. It's, it, it feels to me like it's just like a gathering. I think you just hate America. I think you're a, a America basher. I think you're trying to entrap me, <laughs> and I won't. I won't be entrapped. Anyway, it got me thinking, uh, if, if we really wanted to affect change, it seems like there are worst way, worse ways to do it than, you know, like approaching food. In a, in a different or new way. Um, or like food could be a big part of that. Versus, again, like having better journalism. <laughs> Maybe that's me like just I, I discarding journalism. I disagree, yeah. <laughs> I'm going I'm to pretty heavily disagree with that. <laughs> uh, okay, not journalism. But like if I worked a job, then any way... Um, supported the 24-hour news cycle i would feel like my cultural impact is at least at a at a at a equal negation like i am neither taking nor am i giving to my community by perpetuating a another kind of like talking head show on any of the major um news uh, channels. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it just depends on where your values are at. You know, everyone is reached differently. You know, going back to the video game conversation, some people play video games to get different things out of it, right? You know, for me, video games are almost purely a distraction, something to waste time just as a hobby. That's not true of everyone. You know, a lot of people get very uh real uh emotions out of video games right some people will get more out of uh you know a story on the intercept while other people will get more out of uh you know a burrito bowl from moe's southwestern grill (laughs) with like a quote at the bottom of your bowl that that makes you think yeah it just depends on where yeah on how you approach it but but uh, we uh julie and i we went to uh 
there's some uh, Mexican restaurant in uh, Red Mill that we went to a while back, and it was at the height of the like immigration thing, right? And we had the same, like, the, a similar conversation while we're eating. It's like you look around and you see all of these, like, uh, mid to late 50 white people who are more than likely Trump supporters and hate immigrants. And they're all eating at, like, a Mexican restaurant. And they just don't get the, maybe it's not, maybe it's not irony, but it feels yeah. like irony. Like, my dad was, was the same way. My dad, like, he had a, uh, what are those Confederate flag in our basement? Mm-hmm. But he where it belonged, right? Or in the trash. <laughs> but but at the same time, he's like that. He was the type of person that would have been like, if you would have confronted him on it, he would have been like, oh, that's just because I like the South, right? He would have told you it had nothing to do with racism, mm-hmm. right? And yet he had a lot of like weirdly racist ideas, right? <laughs> yes. But at the same time, he loved like Mexico and like Mexican music and like Mexican food. Right. So it's, it is a weird, uh, dichotomy that some, and some people just don't, I don't know. I I guess the argument is like, is for those people to open their perspectives a little bit. They're already opening their mouths. Right. But I just, maybe they could open their minds. I don't think everybody gets value in that way from that thing you know what i mean like there's no universals in that sense everybody eats you know anytime that you can get people who universally have to engage in an well, activity what about people who are on soylent we don't want them anyway <laughs> <laughs> wait why would somebody be on soylent it's a meal replacement thing yeah i know but but it, would that there be any like medical reason or are all the people who are like on Soylent, are they just trying to live it's an, to be 200 years Yeah, old? I think. Well, I think it's like an efficiency thing. Yeah. If I thought I was disciplined enough you to do it, do it, I would do it in a heartbeat. I know. I know. You're, so, I, yeah. So, I think that that's the, that's the disconnect. And I really wanted to talk to us to kind of think through these ideas. But I think that that's it, basically, is, you know, almost everybody eats. And if you make good food, you can get people to eat that food. And if that food can represent something then there's a possibility sure. that, that that could have meaning outside of that food. You know, if, if all of a sudden that person got deported and then that person can no longer shove a fried potato skin in mm-hmm. their mouth, that's made the exact way that that person made that fried potato skin, that might get, be enough to get that person to be like, hey, wait a minute. Like, yeah, you took my fried potato skins away. Yeah, I we just need think to get you those could back. say that about literally anything in the world. I don't know. Just as, you know, well, what catches people's attention. Watch Ugly Delicious. It might get you thinking a little differently. All right, let's talk about uh, cryptocurrencies. I'm going full apocalypse okay. on my take. All right, let's hear it. Are you ready? I don't have, I, I, just like the food debate, I have no interest in cryptocurrencies. I'm not smart enough. Uh, My gut reaction is these things are dumb and it's never going to replace (laughs) the actual money currency that we have. But I'm not A, smart enough 
to know why that's wrong or be interested enough to research it in any degree to know why that's wrong? I think we're at a... My reaction is this is a crossing point, a crossing of stream of two very deadly streams. Mm -hmm. Number one, um, technology, where I feel like every day is another just like idiotic technology like on the horizon that just makes me shake my head. Like, uh, was it Radio Lab that did the whole episode on, you know, the technology? The that, ceremony? No. I don't want to touch on the ceremony, though. But they did a whole episode on the technology that people are working on now where you can, like, oh, right. Have a person say the deep fake stuff. Yeah, the deep fake. And, you know, you, you talk to these people who are developing this technology to basically allow you to take any digital image of a person and chop up their image and their voice to make them say anything you want them to say. Right. And you literally have people who are straight face being like, I don't see any problem with it. I don't mm -hmm. know what you're talking about. We don't have any like negative intention right. for this stuff. Well, it's not just people in that Radiolab story. They're talking to like one of the engineers who was pioneering the technology. And they asked her like, do you, have you thought of like the moral implications behind this? And she was like, reacted like she'd never even considered the question in her life. She's like, morals? Yeah. What are you talking <laughs> about? Morals? I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like with everything you even look at elon musk and like all these people are like the pinnacles if you hear them talk about technology it's like deeply scary where you're literally like have you watched any science fiction movie you guys are like falling into the basic right. trap of like the mad scientist who creates the ai that rises up and it's like oh i didn't know telling them to kill bad people would allow them to then determine who the bad people are and then kill us mm -hmm. you know i i, I don't get it but there seems to be unless a lot of the the media that i'm in taking is just a hyperbolic negative take but it seems like if you track what these people are saying it lines up one to one where basically they're saying hey we can do this thing like why not you know you look at the people who are really big in cryptocurrencies and to me it's like I, I thought all Logan Pauls were just contained to YouTube, mm -hmm. but apparently they, there are enough to go around to all industries. Right. And a lot of them are like hot, you know, big on cryptocurrencies. And you see a lot of scams coming up in a lot of new cryptocurrencies. And all you have to do is search cryptocurrencies to see like another fake coin got created and then people booked it. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like scams left and right. And even, Bitcoin itself, you know, th there's a, I watched last week tonight. Did you watch the last mm -hmm. episode? And I mean, he basically just kind of focused on the scammers and there are, you know, you can sign up for a website that, that is basically like, Hey, we're going to flood this coin. Oh, right. Yeah. And we'll let you know what coin we're going to flood. And then we all sell it. Right. And then we get rich and they're not saying like, and then what happens to the people who all bought in on that coin? Right. And w didn't have your site. Like, they're ruined. They're, they're ruined. Yeah. And this is, like, this is like a business model for cryptocurrencies. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Well, it's because they're unregulated. That's the, that's the thing. So you think that we're just going to see regulation, swoop in, and we'll be good to go? N- I just don't think it's going to ever be anything. Like, I don't even think it's going to be... Why would it even be regulated at this point? I mean, I guess some companies accept it as a form of payment, but even that is like... I don't think it's about the companies at this point, just as an investment, a volatile investment. Like... We couldn't even manage a banking system. <laughs> you know, we couldn't even, the idea, the basic concept of a bank was too much for an entire society. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, it all collapsed because humanity couldn't tame the wild animal that is, you give me your money and I will protect it for you. You know, uh, it's it's insane. I, I don't I, I see this as a, a. An advancement that whether it turns out to be 3D TVs, again, you know, like that mm-hmm. are now obsolete, mm-hmm. um, uh, like just a technology that is obsolete. I think it's introducing ideas that are fundamentally destructive to our society. Because again, I think it's reinforcing this idea that you can get rich doing absolutely nothing. You know, you just have to have, it's basically a pyramid scheme. Like all cryptocurrencies are basically just like. Yeah, but I mean, isn't getting rich doing nothing the ultimate goal for everybody, right? Yeah, but not to the extent that I think it is now in our current culture. We're literally like the uh, again on last week tonight, they interviewed like a kid who is like a millionaire now. Right. And he just seems like somebody who should not have millions of dollars. Well, yeah, but he's also was just some guy that luck kind of lucked into it more or less. Yeah, but I mean, how many people are lucking into it, quote unquote it? It made me think of another i think it was radio lab yeah it was radio lab where they did a whole episode on the most expensive free watch right did you listen to that one yeah where basically it's those dumb ads that you see i don't know are they on facebook i know they're at least on i Google. think the one on uh the reply all episode was instagram instagram it's just like hey Click on this, get a free watch. Yeah. And they really dig into this, like, what is the culture of the free watch on Instagram? Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it is just a bunch of kids, largely, it seems like, mm-hmm. who have set up this system where they're like the middleman for cheaply made goods mm-hmm. and they pass it on to you who clicks on this thing, right. pay shipping. And they get a piece of it. And then that subculture gave rise to another subculture where basically they're saying like, hey, you can get rich super easy. Now you give me money and I'll tell you how to, how to be the middleman. But really the question is how many of those people are wealthy or yeah. as wealthy as they're projecting themselves to be? I mean, I, I'll say I'm fine. I would rather that kid 
in Florida have millions of dollars from Bitcoin than Elon Musk have millions of dollars <laughs> or Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Give it all to that kid. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too. Is that, and I feel like, you know, with cryptocurrencies, the other thing, too, is I, I would agree with you that to me, it seems like a flash in the pan doesn't seem long lasting. I don't see the, the future of it. It's unregulated. It seems like regulation is going to come. Yeah. But then you look at our political system and you realize, like, People are just bought and sold, you know? And if yeah. cryptocurrencies can get a lobby together and get some money together, there is kind of no telling on what regulations would be passed and when and how sweeping they would be and what it would mean. Right now, it just seems like it is a, it's a wild west for scammers Yeah, that if you want to get involved in, you're, you're taking your future into your own hands. When if you want to invest, right, especially at this point where Bitcoin is out of price for anybody who just wants to get rich quick, you're kind of having to take chances on all these other coins and currencies that are getting right. And um, there's out there. also the whole thing about how uh, at this point mining cryptocurrency is like the most harmful activity for the environment. Yeah, have you seen those stories? Yes, I think some of it too. I I'm just not like I said. I'm not sold on cryptocurrency as a whole as an idea um but it bit bitcoin specifically i think it's kind of like um uber or whatever name something else where it's like they're just kind of like we're the first ones to do it good and so they became the most popular you know what i mean like, I have no idea what makes Bitcoin better than any other cryptocurrency. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's, there are plenty other better alternatives, but it's at a certain point, it just becomes, like, unstoppable. Same thing with, like, Uber. Like, you know, there's a million stories about how Uber is the worst ride-sharing company, and yet they're still the most popular because at a certain point, you just become this synonymous with the thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like when you say cryptocurrency, you might as well be saying Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Um, You're no, not talking about titty coin, right? Is that a real one? <laughs> yeah. That was the one on the last week tonight. Oh, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Or deep, deep onion was deep the onion. other one. Um, so yeah, there's uh, <laughs> right. But then you have like the, the radio lab episode called the ceremony. Yeah. Where, <clears throat> It followed people um, launching Z coin, something like that. Z coin, which their big um, Z cash. Z cash, that's right. Their big issue was this blockchain. And so, blockchain is basically you, your transaction of buying a Bitcoin. Or selling a Bitcoin or anything like that is then stored on a series of servers that are blockchain together. So, and there and and those servers play off of each other and check each other's information. Mm -hmm. And so, in order to hack information, you would have to hack the entire system, which is almost impossible and i guess to this point 
has never been done. Yeah. Because that's good enough proof that it is safer. But it keeps record of every transaction that you've done. Well, that's what Bitcoin does. No, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that's, that's that blockchain that Bitcoin does keeps a record of oh, right. who you are. Right, but the point was that it's it, with Bitcoin, it's quote-unquote anonymous, but, the, it's, but said it's pretty easy to figure out who's who. Exactly. You can figure out who's who right. and what they did. Right. And so these people on Zcash were like, oh, the problem here is privacy. Mm-hmm. And so they just do their own thing but focusing more on privacy. Yeah. And I wanted to be like, that's your, yeah, that, that's your hot take on this whole industry. Yeah. It's like, no, it's all good. We just need more privacy on it. Yeah. Which to me is like, I don't understand how that's not. To me, it seems like that's someone fighting for net neutrality and then also fighting for the rights of the dark web. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like there, I think at some point you can draw a line and be like, hey, uh, I, I am all for privacy and cryptocurrency is a net negative on our society and culture. Mm-hmm. Mining it is terrible for the environment. What you're doing with, the fluctu- with an unregulated currency is you are inviting for these fluctuations. And people could lose everything. And no one knows what they're doing half the time, especially the people who lose everything. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just don't understand how like you can be for like privacy and like don't go out there and create another cryptocurrency. And I feel like Radiolab was like showing us like a, did you feel like they were weighing in either side? I felt like it was like, it's called the ceremony. I felt like it was almost like, a, watch this beautiful thing be. Well, born. that's what they called it. That's what the people called it. Right, right. But, but I felt like they were just sharing the story. To be honest, I didn't get a a, a lean from them to either side. But did did you get the sense at all of like, you know? So again, like by by heightening privacy. Do you see what I'm saying about the dark web? Yeah. Where, where I feel no, like, I get that. Yeah, I feel like you're you're basically saying, hey, we created this great private place for you to basically you know, do right. whatever dark thing you want to do with, with your currency, with your money and not be worried about right. getting tracked. Well, I also don't think the masses care about privacy. I don't think people really care about privacy, to be honest with you, because I think most people probably have the mindset of like, I'm not doing anything illegal, so I don't really care. But even if people make a, f- I mean, you just look at the trends. Like it was like the year after this uh, whistleblower scandal about the NSA collecting literally all of our phone calls. The most popular selling tech devices are speakers that you put in your home that listen to everything you say. You know what I mean? Like, and those are still the most popular selling tech devices. Like, wh- like people don't care. People do not care about privacy. You look at like Facebook is still super popular. You look at there's cash apps that are built around sharing your transactions like a social network. You know what I mean? I don't think people care about that, to be honest. It is just another erosion of our society that has no net benefit for anybody 
and it's trying to capitalize on a movement of again we screwed up banks right yeah don't trust banks don't trust the system trust us mm. and it's just creating huge gaps and holes for people to fall into and lose everything and get swindled and even if you play the game correctly there, that's the thing too is there's no correct way to play <clears throat> All right, let's talk about Ooh. our top 10 favorite movies. So late last week or sometime last week, after further discussion about was what was and wasn't in your favorite top sci-fi <laughs> catalog, say, not even list. I didn't say favorite. But Whatever it's, it is. It's my list. But it, okay, but sci-fi. we can agree that 59 is not a list. A list has to have some sort of end that comes before 59. Why? Because it's not a list. To you? It's a catalog. Okay. It's just a document of all the sci-fi movies you've seen. It's a catalog <laughs> list. So I threw down the gauntlet of ten, your top 10 favorite. My wording was top 10 favorite movies of all time. No runner-ups, no honorable mentions, top 10 in no particular order. Now, that leaves the question of what does favorite movie mean? Yes. So, what does favorite movie mean to you? I actually forgot how you worded it, so I did not do my favorite. Okay. I did best. Okay. And for me, the difference between favorite and best is that favorite, when I think of favorite films, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones mm-hmm. comes to mind. Just fun movies. Right. Movies that I could throw on at any point and watch all the way through and be like, that was a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption, I can't, you know, stop. Boy, that what movie. a, yeah. What a what a pick me up, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, so those are those are the favorites, you know. Okay. Best though is something like my number. Right. So. Oh, I guess not my number because no, then no that's order. no, no, no. If you're going best, they have to be ordered, because the whole point of best is you're saying these are better than all other movies. So you're going to have to give me an order. Okay. So the so and then you're going to have to explain in minute <laughs> detail why each one is better than the other. Well, here's the thing. The the thing that makes films best and important to me are personal. So these become a very personal list of films okay. that for me are best because they've actually impacted me in some way shape or form. So for example, The Tree of Life. That's number one? Number two. You're f- That's number two. Tree of Life. Okay. So you're, you're ordering your list in the same way that Tree of Life orders its narrative, just completely jumbled out of order? You're starting no, with number no, no. two? No, no, no. I know. I'm using it as an example of what I'm trying to okay. say. The Tree of Life helped expose my relationship to my father in a way that I hadn't seen depicted on 
film in a way where I literally saw moments of that film. I was like, I had that same interaction. And now I understand where it came from. And I saw those attributes, some of them in me, and it made me hyper aware to not do that to Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never on a Friday night be like, what are we watching tonight? <laughs> Tree of life. Right. Throw it in there. <laughs> yeah. Let's get it cranking. Yeah. This is, this is again, the, the second best movie ever made. It's, it's, that's not a favorite, you know? It doesn't fall into the category of like, again, Jurassic Park, which is more fun than Tree of Life. Right. But Tree of Life has meant more to me than Jurassic Park. Now, sometimes you get a magical crossover of the two mm-hmm. where favorite and best become blurred into one glorious example of mm-hmm. a film, which is my number one, Okay, which is No Country for Old Men. All right. Which is both come to actually represent almost a hundred percent of my worldview. Like mm-hmm. there are so many points in my life where something happens and I immediately think of a scene of from no country for old men. And it helps me make sense of what I just saw or read or heard. Uh, I, I can't get enough of it. And it is an exciting film to watch. Yeah. It is a film that I could watch just, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that whether you look at it on like, that's a film that easily, if somebody was like, what are we going to watch tonight? And I was yeah. like, have you seen no country? I'd be like, there we go. If somebody was like, Oh, I haven't seen tree of life. I'd have to sit there and be like, what was your day like today? What, right. what headspace are you? What's in? your relationship with your father? Like? What's your relationship with your father? Yeah. You know, what, what's your, do, are you religious? <clears throat> like, you know, these are all, you know, things that I'd have to take into account sure. on how that film might play for them. Do you lump the book in with No Country for Old Men or is that something separate entirely? I guess it's not that fair of a question because the book, the movie so it's closely so close. mirrors the book, it doesn't really matter. Ex- I guess. Exactly. Yeah. That, and, and that to me is the perfect example of that where mm. normally I would maybe separate the two or in some mm. way probably combine them in my mind. Like I do that with Children of Men, which is a film that I love mm-hmm. and a book that I love. And that experience, I think, has been linked in my mind between the two where I feel like the movie might, you know, falter. The narrative of the book kicks in, just kind of covers that up mm-hmm. into one whole experience. Uh, but with this one, yeah, it's so close. It's almost like it's the same thing. It's, yeah. Yeah. So... So these are these in order then? So No Country for Old Man is your number one. It's better than every other movie you've ever seen. Every Tree other of movie Life is better than every other movie you've ever seen besides No Country for Old Men. Yes. Okay. And, and I mean, that's the thing too is it, it, this is not like it's, it's not shameful. I'm not sorry. I think too many times. No, of course times, not. Yeah, we, we fall back into this like fake apologetic like sorry mm-hmm. i i gave no i gave this a lot of thought and time sure uh because these things matter to me right and uh and i would stand wholeheartedly behind these behind yeah the i just want to know just okay for clarity's sake number three okay there will be blood okay and uh that to me has explained politics 
exactly in such a clear way mm-hmm. that and I it still does, and it still does, and I can go back to it and uh, still learn more. And it is, I think, it's deadly accurate in what it says. Yeah, it's the ultimate America American movie. Absolutely, it perfectly describes and depicts the greedy side of America and the religion obsessed sort of zealotry of america yeah yeah oh man it's it's proving more and more of a horror movie yeah (laughs) and it's something too where where the 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 meaning is so naked on the surface it shouldn't get away with it yeah you know i mean you should be like oh this is like beating me over the head but it so perfectly matches the tenor of our political discourse and religious discourse in our yeah. society that it actually is like no this is exactly where we're at we are pitched at this level mm-hmm. you know um so yeah there will be blood so it's like already no country is like worldview religious mm-hmm. identity tree of life is personal and familial there will be blood is political and social and then eternal sunshine mm-hmm. uh, four is relational. That is like how I understand relationships to be. Okay. Um, after that, so I think those four are kind of like the core. Yeah. Like that, that actually wraps up like my full worldview. Mm-hmm. From there, it, it, it then got harder because then I am kind of picking more films. Um. In the Mood for Love is my number five. Okay. I probably here would would have Godfather 1 and 2 on my favorites. Mm-hmm. And I bumped them because I wanted a film that did the same thing as Godfather 1 and 2. Uh-huh. This kind of sprawling narrative. A, a film that can show how big a film can can be well those are also two movies so they'd have to take up two spaces they have to take up two spaces which is another reason why they got bumped (laughs) Uh for zodiac okay um again because i think zodiac shows the scope of of what film can portray um number seven is psycho okay and number eight is uh the royal tenenbaums Mm mm-hmm Number nine is probably the one that I have wrestled with the most. Why can I ask why the Royal Tenenbaums over any is that just a stand in for Wes Anderson movies or do you have that one picked specifically for a reason? Yeah, it's specifically for a reason, although I do feel like for all of Wes Anderson's films. Like that he has been so formative in my love of film that. Mm he would deserve a point uh, a spot just for that but the royal tenenbaums has been a film that i've watched and the first time i didn't fully get the first time i was like oh that was good i think and then i watched it again i think in theaters and then the criterion disc came out and i got it on criterion and that's when i found myself like just watching it over and over and over again mm-hmm. and as a film i think it is uh i think it's wonderful but the narrative, I think, has come to stand in for, again, more of like a family relationship uh, that has meaning for me as I get older mm-hmm. and who I want to be and the values that I want to stand up for. Um, I think Royal 
is is actually a meaningful character you know for me mm-hmm. and uh and so yeah no i I think he has personal meaning, but maybe more as a as a film mm-hmm. um number nine was crouching tiger hidden dragon you really love that movie I love that movie so freaking much mm-hmm. but I bumped it at the last second okay uh and I put Chinatown in there all right. Um, and again, I think Chinatown is probably the pure, the purest like movie movie. Like if you say like, was just like favorite, just as a film, Chinatown, I think is probably, you know, again, I, I know I put no country above it mm-hmm. as a film that I would put on any Friday night to show somebody, mm-hmm. but, um, Chinatown and is somebody doesn't like horror movies. Chinatown's directed by Roman Polanski, right? Yeah. Okay. Just, oh. Just asking. Yeah, you just want to like, uh, I can't see that turd. I'm going to push your face really close to it. I'm just glad the pedos are represented in your list. That's all. You know, I would never stoop so low. Uh, and number 10 is High Noon. High Noon? The old Western movie? Why is that on there? Uh, I think I watched it as a kid and mm-hmm. it kind of ingrained in me the sense of like right and wrong and standing up for what you believe in. And I think it's just a really well-made film. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, but I think that almost like my moral code is ingrained in like High Noon. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about any movies you left off? I know I said no honorable mentions. Uh, am but, I allowed um, to? Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I just wanted to make I sure, sure we actually got a list of 10 movies and not 59. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned Crouching Tiger. Godfather 1 and 2 are right after that. Seven Samurai. Um, and Ran. Seven Samurai and Ran for me are like back and forth, but Seven Samurai, I think, um, out of the past. Isn't that like a Brendan Fraser movie? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's uh, Robert Mitchum. Uh Uh, It's like a film noir. Okay. Badlands is on there. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. So this was also like I did favorite and then kind of bumped, bumped him down. Um, the wild bunch, uh, mm-hmm. is on there. Crimes and misdemeanors talk about, uh, pedophiles being represented. Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen has meant an embarrassing amount to me, sure. uh, in my life. Uh, the night of the hunter. Okay. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Robert Mitchum? No. Uh, Pulp Fiction, Fargo. Lost in translation, memories of murder. Have you watched Lost in Translation recently? You know, it's one of those experiences that for me is I'm so, curious if it holds I know, up. <laughs> I know. And I haven't seen it since it came out, and I'm pretty sure it's not gonna be as good as I thought I thought it was when I when it came out. Maybe not, but I remember <laughs> just feeling like magic happened yeah, yeah, in that yeah. theater and not wanting it to be right. like not wanting the spell to be lifted. So yeah. I'm still protective of it. Um, and then Sherlock Jr., Buster Keaton. Okay. Okay. So, 
I did a completely different list. I did the favorites list, partially because the idea of best to me is arbitrary, and I'm not as invested in my movie watching as you are to sort of keep track of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And even with, with any list, you're going to leave something out, for me at least. It's going to be impossible oh, to think of every single thing that could go in that slot and to... Which is why my science fiction list right, exactly. is 59 movies. Right, which is not a list. <laughs> but it's, it just would have been impossible for me to... And then, and then I would have spent the whole time being like, trying to decide what is better than what for... And, and, and it's kind of like you said, you could probably work out your top three or five pretty definitively but after that it just becomes kind of like a i'm just gonna put this here yeah um so i did favorite movies and my definition of favorite is these are the movies is earnest in it probably that no it's not probably that i've watched the most over the over, Uh over the course of my life that i've seen the most that yeah if i'm going to sit down to just watch a movie I will watch this movie or kind of the example of like when you used to browse TV channels. If I was browsing TV and this, I came across this movie, I would not turn it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? I watch it to the end, no matter where I came to it at. And so these are not in any particular order, but the first one is Zodiac. And I wanted to put that first just because it seemed pretty obvious considering the last episode yeah how much i talked about but yeah zodiac's on there just because it's a movie that i've seen a million times and for some reason i just find it compulsively watchable Watchable. yeah uh after that i've got casino which is another one of those movies that just like i recognize that goodfellas is probably the better movie but for some reason, I just really love Casino. Yeah, yeah. And I will always watch Casino from start to finish if it's on. Listen, if my weird film is Crouching Tiger, yours is Casino. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen Casino a million times. You know what I can't ever get over? And it makes me love Casino even more. Is the most obvious body switch right. of all time, <laughs> yeah. which is like basically the opening scene yeah. of Casino. Or Robert De Niro gets into a car, and then you practically see the camera right. like shut off yeah. and turn back on. Yeah. And just a, a and, rigid. Right. A dummy gets a dummy. put in there. And what's so strange about that is when it actually happens later in the movie. It looks better. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't even happen. Like, the car blows up, and the meat cuts the him inside of the car, and he's, like, on fire, right? And he jumps out. It's, there's never a dummy. Uh, he doesn't actually get blown up, right? Yeah. It's so strange. Um, okay, so after that is a movie that I watched a ton as a kid, and I just watched it again on Saturday night to make sure that I wasn't crazy crazy putting this on my list. Last Action Hero <laughs> yeah, is a great movie. Yeah. And so I decided to do some research on it, and I was reading all these articles about how it was this giant flop, and everyone hated it while they're making it. And it went through all these writing changes and all this stuff. But I just think it's, I think it's an actual good movie. Yeah. Despite everyone panning it and despite all of this trouble it had. But especially as like 
a kid that grew up kind of like a latchkey kid and it just does a good oh, job yeah. of representing that and sort of representing the appeal to watching movies as a kid and right. sort of getting drawn into the that fantasy, world and the fantasy yeah. of it. It does such a great job with that. Last Action Hero is a movie I really love. Um, after Last Action Hero, I've got Big Lebowski, which is... That actually does belong on my list. Not, right. not top 10, but... Yeah, just a great movie. Super yeah. funny movie I can always watch. It's, it's something where it just had its uh, 25th yeah. anniversary. Um, in honor, I actually found out how to change my Twitter handle. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I am now um, his dudeness. There you go. Because I'm surprised that wasn't taken, right? So anyway, um, I was like, in what what alternate persona of the dude would best suit me out of all the ones he lists? Mm-hmm. El Dudorino, right? His dude. I was like, his dudeness would probably be me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be I'll be one of those. <laughs> um, and so. I, I, two things. I don't understand people who, whenever like an anniversary comes around, feel the need to like add their voice to be like, this is not good. This is overrated. I I just want to be like, if anything is making to its 25th anniversary, it's a film, your negative opinion does not matter (laughs) at that point. Right. Uh 25 years of history has validated this existence. So just shut up. Right. (laughs) Number one. And well, I'll say coming from someone who constantly tries to shit on star Wars whenever I can, I understand that urge. Okay. (laughs) Number, number two, how do people, and again, like, you know, what's called like film Twitter, right? All Uh the people like love films, film critics and stuff. How do they love films, watch Big Lebowski, and go get to the end and be like, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. Or it wasn't fun. It's like, what do you love about movies? Like, can you explain yeah. to me how Big Lebowski does not kind of like fire off some synapses in you and yeah. get you excited? Big about Lebowski it? is one of those things where it's like, for whatever reason, the people who get it really get it. And the people who don't just, there's just like nothing you can do to, yeah. to bring them over. It's kind of like the best show in that way. You know what I mean? There's like just something to it that you connect to on just this deep level. And you will spend the rest of your life trying to convince everyone else to get it. You want a toe, dude? <laughs> I can get you a toe. But yeah. With polish. <laughs> yeah. But that's a movie that I've seen a million times. I actually, I, I remember watching it in the theater. I watched it in the theater with my parents and my aunt and uncle for whatever reason. And I remember the entire time we're watching the movie, everyone laughing. And then as soon as it was over, they're just like, well, that was dumb. <laughs> down and I was like, what? Wait a minute. Where did the turnaround come from? Yeah. But yeah, that's a movie I love. Um, there will be blood, which is what I figured our crossover crossover would be. be. I didn't know that think that Zodiac would make it to your top 10, but there will be blood for what we said before. It just is like the perfect, uh, depiction of American values (laughs) of like the ugly American values or sort of like to me, 
the real side of the American values that aren't like sort of glammed up. Right. Strip away everything. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that you can deny that at its like bloody roots, these are some of the two main like pumping veins of American life is just this capitalistic, you know, competition to grow and this religious fervor yeah. you know and yeah yeah and there's something about it especially um daniel day lewis's performance that it just is like you, you just you just can't i just can't stop watching it you know yeah. what i mean it just is so good um all right the next one on my list is a little bit of a if i could have done nine movies i may, I may have left this one off <laughs> but <clears throat> it's kind of a proxy movie, if okay. I can. It's Once Upon a Time in the West. Okay. And it's kind of it's a proxy for a- every Sergio Leone movie because there was a point in my life where all I was watching was Sergio Leone movies. And it was Once Upon a Time in the West, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Once Upon a Time in America, America. which is probably my favorite Sergio Leone movie, but it's four hours long, and so I'm not going to sit down and rewatch that very often. Mm-hmm. But during that span, Once Upon a Time in the West was a movie that I watched all the time. It, whether it was just like the first opening 10, 20 minutes at the, of train, the, station. At the train station, or different parts of it, it just was a movie that I kept going back to and watching. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. But at one point in my life, I was watching it nonstop pretty much. Yeah. So that's why it's on the list. Uh, and then the one after that is also maybe fudging it a little bit. Is this the 10th? No, this is number okay. seven. Okay. Uh, Kill Bill. All right. Uh, which is, I guess, kind of a stand-in for Tarantino, just because I've loved all of his movies. Yeah, me too. Not equally, but I have liked all of mm-hmm. them. Uh, but for me, Kill Bill is the most fun to watch. Yeah. And I think it is the best of his movies, to be honest, because it just is so much fun to watch. It just is the the concept is great. The uh, the 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 way the narrative is broken up into these little sort of mini stories is mm-hmm. great. Uh, it's another movie that I remember walking out of that AMC theater in Lakeland. When we all went to oh, see it. Oh, I remember, it, yeah. And just being like blown away and like not, and just like couldn't wait for the next one to come out. So Kill Bill, I think, which works as a whole movie because originally it was made as one movie, right? Yeah. I'm not talking about one or two. I'm just talking about the whole thing. Um, okay, so number eight is a movie that <laughs> I watched a ton as a kid and would make me cry at the end. Flight of the Navigator. Uh, Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Kind of, for me, the ultimate Disney movie. It's mm-hmm. like, it's either Aladdin or Lion King, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like Lion King is great, love Lion King, but for me, the, the pinnacle is Aladdin. Like, it doesn't get any better than Aladdin. And the relationship between Aladdin and Genie <laughs> as a only child who didn't have a lot of friends was like the friendship that I always wanted but right. never had. So that movie was a staple of my childhood. Um, 
would you, you know, I just crystallized in my head. Um, the Lion King. Mm-hmm. I remember that was uh, the first time that I remember feeling like actively weird and awkward in a theater as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because they were trying to show a romance between two animals. <laughs> and I remember seeing in the theater and being like, this is so weird. Yeah. Like, even when he comes back and he's older and he not, I think there's a scene where she actually like licks him. Like they want to show like a kiss, but they're, they realize like, crap, we're animating lions. Yeah. Like we, so I guess let's have her lick him. Yeah. But I remember even as a kid seeing them watching being like, ugh, this is, so weird, <laughs> yeah. weirdly intimate. I know. That I know. registered like, with me as a kid. Yeah, I'm just realizing now. Like, it's right. not something that I thought about for a while, but I think I remember. Yeah, going back and being like, that really creeped me out as yeah. a kid. Just being like, <clears throat> yeah. The the theater experience that I remember with The Lion King is not watching The Lion King in the theater. It was watching whatever the Disney movie was that came out before The Lion King. But at the end of it, they had like a featurette mm. where it was like showing the animators were like watching lions and that's how they learned how to animate lions yeah. or something like that. I remember that for some reason, but I don't remember being creeped out by the romance. I remember being like super sad when uh, Mustafa dies. Right. But maybe I don't I, think it's that's a testament unique. to the to the animation i mean they really did such a good job <laughs> yeah. that they made it so real that it made right. me feel very weird okay number 9 is i think maybe the greatest action movie of all time terminator 2 um the theatrical cut okay because uh i showed this to julia Maybe when we were dating, I mean, it's, I guess it's probably not really her type of movie to begin with, mm. but it was like the director cut or whatever. And it's like the one time I think where the director's cut or the extended cut or whatever is it's like worse. worse. And it's, it completely ruins the movie somehow. But the theatrical cut of Terminator 2 is amazing. I think that fits with James Cameron. Sure. I feel like James Cameron is actually a filmmaker. That proves the value of studio notes. Like for most filmmakers, it's like, yeah, <laughs> damn studios ruining my film with all these dumb, you know, yeah. uh, notes. And for James Cameron, yeah. everyone around him is probably like, yeah, he probably needs to cut a whole bunch. Let's of reel crap. him. Like, in let's reel him in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. And quickly going back to last last action hero, which is directed by John McTiernan, whose last action heroes is a kid's movie mm-hmm. and it is a disaster by all reports, but it's actually really well directed as well. Yeah. Um, John McTiernan who did die hard. Yeah. Uh, and then my last movie, number 10, and this honestly is a movie <laughs> I love, mm-hmm. but this is a movie that's on there because I didn't feel like spending more than 30 minutes on this list. Uh, but it is a movie I've seen a million times. And that listen, I am just happy you made it to 10. <laughs> I, I, I'm genuinely surprised and happy. Um, and that's the thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's just as like, I don't know for me, it's kind of the perfect mix of horror and mystery 
and sci-fi mm-hmm. and it's all contained on this one base you know what i mean it's just like and the a, effects they actually show yes. you stuff and they're good yeah it's just this, this little perfectly contained story that by the end of it you're super satisfied but you're also kind of like left to think about everything that just happened you know trying to figure out who's the alien at the end and whatever the thing is so good i really 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 want to play the board game oh yeah yeah um, my brother-in-law bought it, and I opened it, uh-huh. and started reading through the instructions, and saw the light in a lot of people's eyes, just completely flip off <laughs> yeah. around me. We ended up playing code names, but uh, I have a dream of playing the thing board game someday. <laughs>